At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Is over. is over. Welcome to a breath of fresh earth, taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. Hello, hello, everybody. China, China, China. What are we going to do with you, China? Rhodium Group is an independent research provider that combines economic data analytics and policy insight to help decision makers in understanding global trends. One of their recent reports estimates that China's 2020 greenhouse gas emissions increased by just about 2%, despite the economic slowdown from COVID-19 pandemic. And the rest of the major economies saw emissions drop significantly. Rhodium Group's new report says China accounts for more greenhouse gas emissions than all of the world's developed nations combined. Now, some people would say that's a lot of hot air, but I would never make a joke about climate change, would I? Yeah, I guess I would. But this is serious stuff. China's emissions of greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide rose 14 gigatons CO2 equivalent in 2019. While we can give China grief about these monstrous totals, is there hope on the way? President Xi Jinping says China will reach net zero by 2060. That's an awfully long time from now. Just think about how many more billions of tons of greenhouse gas will be added to the problem by then. This isn't getting us closer to the goals of the Paris Agreement, which set 2050, not 2060, as the timeline for carbon neutrality. The top leaders in global emissions in 2019 were China, who accounted for 27% of global emissions, followed by 11% the United States and India with about 7%. Over the last three decades, China's emissions have more than tripled. China was the only country in the G20 to see a large increase, about 2% in coal generation in 2020. China's need to expand their electricity production has necessitated the expansion in both renewable and non-renewables. More coal, more solar, more wind, more everything. Renewables account for about 10% of their power needs. That's about the same as everybody else in the world. China is the world's largest producer of renewable energy and the largest coal consumer. China's per capita emissions have grown largely a result of higher standards of living, and their energy sector is based largely on fossil fuel. Plus, think about how much China manufactures for the rest of the world. 
China continues to finance fossil fuel projects overseas. At the same time, they're continuing to build coal-fired power plants at home. One important thing to remember about China's reliance on coal, it's mined locally and available at a relatively low cost and has brought enormous benefits to energy consumers in China. Think of their power consumption as a giant cruise ship burning coal 24 hours a day. It just can't stop on a dime and turn around. It's going to take time. And what can we do about it? I've spoken before about how carbon capture is going to have to fill a big part of reducing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. The CO2 already in the air, left to dissipate on its own, will stay up there for hundreds of years. We must think of ways to suck it out of the sky. These new technologies will create tens of thousands of new jobs. People in the energy fields have three main tasks to achieve with carbon capture. How to capture it, how to transport it, and finally how to store it. One of these companies is in Norway, where the government is testing capturing CO2 as it comes out of the smokestack. There are a lot of technical challenges to accomplish that task, so we'll have to wait and see how it's going to work. In the States, four companies are giving it a go. One of the biggest carbon emitters are companies that make cement. Between 5 and 8% of all greenhouse gases come from cement. Not only does the production of cement involve quarrying, causing airborne pollution in the forms of dust, it also requires the use of massive kilns, which require large amounts of energy. The actual chemical process of making cement also emits staggering high levels of CO2. If the cement industry or a country, it would be the third largest emitter in the world behind China and the United States. It contributes more CO2 than aviation fuel and is not far behind global agriculture. Now there's a process that avoids carbon capture altogether by trapping emissions in raw cement block. That stores them for the foreseeable future and does not appear to weaken the strength of the cement. In April, UCLA's team used the process to win an X prize against 38 other teams from seven countries. They resulted in more than 5,000 concrete blocks that captured 75% of the carbon dioxide. This is another example of why I remain hopeful for our future. Now I'm going to tell you about an Israeli company called High Hopes with big plans. You could call them sky-high plans. Here's the deal. How do they propose achieving this? What ultra-high technology devices are they going to use? What would you say if I told you it was balloons and high altitudes? You might not believe me, but the idea is so simple. Ground-based direct air capture is expensive and uses a lot of energy to make it happen. Here's an example of how the company Climeworks does it. Large fans draw in air, carbon dioxide is captured on the surface of a filter, then the collector is closed and heated, and that releases a concentrated steam of CO2. The stream is compressed and sent underground for geo-sequestration. That's a tough word to say quickly. Then it's mixed with water and pumped deep underground, where it reacts with basal salt and gradually turns into stone over a few years. Sounds like a lot of moving parts and lots of money. High Hopes captures the carbon in high-altitude balloons. That's right, balloons. Carbon dioxide freezes at minus 112 Fahrenheit and turns into dry ice. The process is called cryodistillation. And I guess it's fairly easy to capture in that form. The winds aloft at 33 to 50,000 feet above sea level are full of cold air and high winds. The dry ice filled with CO2, fills up pressure tanks fitted inside the balloons, and then they return them to Earth. As the temperature rises, the dry ice turns back into CO2, and it can be sent straight out for geo-sequestration. What's great about this technology is that you don't need to send these balloons over North America or Europe or China to make it work. Carbon removed from the air in Africa has the identical global impact as carbon removed from Brazil. Sending balloons over sub-Saharan Africa is great. There's less air traffic to deal with, and there's huge areas of land 
for, here's that word again, geo-sequestration. High Hopes has tested small-scale demonstration-sized balloons. They're going to have to use much larger balloons, and many of them, to achieve their goals. But this is one of the best examples of a company taking a simple idea and turning it into a potential greenhouse gas solution. The world needs to remove millions of tons of carbon per year to make this a viable long-term solution. And currently, the world is capturing only 1,000 tons per year. To get to 1 million tons of carbon removed with current technology, it would require high hopes to have 2,001 ton balloons pulling down CO2 tanks every 18 hours every day for a year. So as you can see, there's a long way to go and a lot of work ahead, but it's exciting to think about. I suggest you watch High Hopes' video on YouTube. I've got high hopes. Well, that's clear enough. All right, I got three more stories for you tonight, and I like them so much I didn't want to wait two more weeks to tell you. The first one is about the million-mile cleanup. That task can be accomplished in England by having 100,000 volunteers clean up 10 miles each. It's called the Million Mile Cleanup, and it starts soon. And it's brought to you from Surfers Against Sewage. This could be the biggest beach cleanup I've ever heard of. How do you get involved? They want you to walk, paddle, or swim 10 miles throughout the year while picking up rubbish. I'm sorry, it's in England. Whilst picking up rubbish. You could go to the beach, the street, the river, the mountain. You could clean anywhere, anytime. Just remember to track your distance and submit your results. you got to use the hashtag, hashtag Million Mile Beach Clean or hashtag Million Mile Clean when you're posting your results on social media. You can run a clean team and get your whole community involved or join a team in your local area or do it on your own. Just remember, you got to use the hashtag. Next is a story about a determined man from America cleaning the Susquehanna River one piece of plastic at a time. I hope he has a lot of time and a lot of helpers. His name is John Naylor. He's from the city of York. His goal is to remove 25,400 plastic bottles and bags from the river and tributaries. That amount would fill up a truck at his workplace. Naylor is also known on Instagram as Susquehanna underscore plastic underscore pickin, that's P-I-C-K-N, underscore 1,000. He's been removing garbage from the environment for at least 20 years, just started documenting his efforts on social media four years ago. So far, Naylor has collected about 16,000 bottles and bags, tires, oil containers, and other forms of trash. He knows he's not going to fix the entire problem by himself or clean the entire river by himself, but he hopes that the exposure will make a difference. And if John Naylor doesn't inspire you, and the hashtag Million Mile Beach Cleanup doesn't inspire you, then this next story definitely will. So there's a photographer in India named Nandu started to look for interesting subjects. One day he saw a man rowing a boat, collecting something from the river. As the man on the boat approached other people near the riverbank, they started throwing bottles near his boat. The old man was N.S. Rajapan, and he's been taking plastic from the river for years to earn a meager living. He's paralyzed since the age of five when he was struck with polio. His daily routine has kept the waterways of Vempanad Lake clear of plastic, all from his little boat. He's got a little canoe. Without any crutches, the 69-year-old drags his legs down from the riverbank to the Minachil River. Now, at the age of 69, he's been picking up plastic in the river for more than five years. After a long day of collecting plastic, he sells the boatload of it in exchange for, how much you think, $10, $20, $40, $0.17. Somebody should remove the waste from the water, he said. So the photographer, Nandu, uploaded the pictures he took to social media. And soon enough, of course, people saw it and they noticed. One of the people who noticed was the Indian Prime Minister. 
and an outpouring of moral support and assistance came his way. People have given him a new motorboat. Others offered to build him a new house. A company also gave him a motorized wheelchair. Do you know anyone as dedicated as Mr. Rajapan? What things can you do to help the environment? What things are you doing? And what things will you do this year? Any news to relay? There are dozens of environmental prizes and awards given throughout the world every year. Keep listening to the show because we're going to focus on a different prize throughout the year. Today, we begin with the prestigious Indianapolis Prize. The Indianapolis Prize awards $250,000 to an animal conservationist who has achieved major victories in advancing the sustainability of an animal species or a group of species who spend their lives saving the Earth's endangered animal species. The 2021 winner of the world's leading award for animal conservation is Dr. Amanda Vincent, the preeminent authority on seahorse ecology and conservation. Vincent was the first biologist to study seahorses in the wild, document their extensive trade, and establish a project for their conservation. Vincent has dedicated her career to understanding and advocating for seahorses, which serve as a flagship species for a wide range of marine conservation issues. She's credited with bringing the world's attention to the 44 known species of seahorses and developing an effective approach to conservation that has also improved the status of many other marine fishes like sharks, rays, groupers, and eels. Dr. Vincent was initially drawn to research seahorses' extraordinary biology. And did you know the only the males become pregnant? That's why if you ever see a seahorse deliver a few thousand eggs at one time, you can be sure the male seahorse took lots of painkillers prior to the delivery. In 1996, Dr. Vincent successfully led the global conservation community to include seahorses on the International Union for the Conservation of Nature Red List. We've mentioned that group many times on the show. Dr. Vincent and her Project Seahorse team are now focused on bringing an end to harmful fishing practices such as bottom trawling where industrial nets are dragged across the ocean floor. Bottom trawling is the single biggest threat to seahorses. Vincent is the first winner of the Indianapolis Prize to focus exclusively on marine conservation. And as I mentioned, the prize is $250,000. That can buy you a big stable of seahorses. John Paul Rodriguez, chair of the IUCN Species for Survival Commission, who served as the nominator for Vincent's 2021 prize application, said this about Dr. Vincent, quote, Every major management action and policy decision taken on behalf of seahorses during the last few decades has been led or hugely influenced by her. She's an inspiration to everyone in the conservation world, unquote. Since 1996, Vincent and Project Seahorse have trained more than 175 professional conservationists and inspired countless amateur conservation advocates to contribute to seahorse science and conservation through a citizen science program called iSeahorse. Because of Amanda's drive, there are now active seahorse conservation projects across six continents. Congratulations! Now it's time for the Climate Villain of the Week. Compensation packages for oil and gas CEOs, often in excess of $10 million per year, are linked to continued extraction of fossil fuels, exploration of new fields, and the promotion of strong market demand through advertising, lobbying, and government subsidies. Executives own tens or hundreds of thousands of shares, which create an unacknowledged personal desire to explore, extract, and sell fossil fuel. This is a big reason why they make so much money. Is it any wonder why they've been slow to react to the obvious facts about global warming? A recent study tracked ExxonMobil, Chevron, Shell, and BP, four of the biggest carbon major oil companies since 1990. 
That was around the same time the global public heard the first high-profile warning about the dangers of burning fossil fuel. Executives had been told of the threat of greenhouse gases caused by oil and gas companies many years earlier. But instead of working on a transition to cleaner, safer forms of energy, they ramped up production, played down the risks, and adopted public relations campaigns that misleadingly presented oil companies as part of the solution rather than the source of the problem. Bastards, that's what they are. Do they have guilt when they lay down at night, knowing that they've poisoned the planet and millions of people have died from air pollution and they continue to die every year? Between 1990 and 2019, the four companies made a combined profit of $2 trillion. The overwhelming bulk of the profits was either plowed back into oil and gas extraction or invested in buying back shares, paid out in dividends to shareholders, or used to lobby politicians, undermine climate science, and pay for greenwashing advertisements. In the United States, lobbying expenditures for the four companies totaled 73, I'm sorry, $731 million between 1998 and 2019. As public pressure and scientific evidence strengthened, the big four are changing their public stance about global warming like they're going through the stages of grief. In their case, it started with business as usual, then incremental adaptation to partial diversification. At least seven executives received more than $10 million in 2018. Shell's CEO was the top earner with $24 million. Boo-hoo, poor little multi-billionaire CEO. I hope they saved a few nickels and dimes along the way. Despite the change in public rhetoric, all four companies plan to continue extracting fossil fuel long after 2050. Don't listen to their words. Watch their actions. They just want to stay part of the energy discussion. They'll say anything they have to to stay relevant. And what can we do about it? We've got to put on more pressure. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. Our heroes today are two of 14 young men and women from around the world selected as the United Nations Young Leaders' Sustainable Development Goals. Loe Radwan has always been a devout believer that people should be there for each other. He dedicated his life to taking action and changing this world into a better place. This led him to represent the Egyptian and African youth at the Youth Climate Action Summit last year and gave him the chance to speak to world leaders about the climate crisis. Loe is co-founder of a startup company called G-Beetle, which uses rover technology to help farmers adapt and preserve their crops. Sensors and machine learning algorithms monitor the plants and soil conditions and provide the farmers with recommendations to ration their water consumption, detect and treat any type of infestation at an early stage. By decreasing the amount of water used, G-Beetle reduces the number of resources consumed, including energy, pesticides, and fertilizers. Udet Singal is the founder of Glass to Sand, an environmental-friendly zero-waste ecosystem and a no-glass-to-landfills movement that addresses the growing menace of glass waste in India by crushing glass bottles into sand. At home, Udet discovered empty glass bottles that were no longer being picked up for recycling or reuse. It emerged that these bottles were being dumped into landfills where they wouldn't decompose for a million years. Glass to Sand was launched when Udit was 17 on World Environmental Day in 2019. More than 14,000 glass bottles have been stopped from reaching landfills and crushed into 8,000 kilograms of high-grade silica sand. Udit expects to rid the Delhi and other parts of the country of waste bottles through an ever-expanding volunteer network. He's a first-year student at University College London. Imagine all the great things ahead of him if this is what he's already done at such a young age. I was still thinking about playing center field for my hometown Cleveland Indians. Uh, that didn't happen. Three cheers for Udit and Loav. 
Let's raise a glass in their honor, and instead of throwing them in the trash, let's turn them into a pile of sand. Wait, what? I mean the glass, not the boys. Congrats, boys. Well, that's a great way to wrap up episode 31. Thanks to the team for helping put the show together, as usual, and thanks to all of you for listening, wherever you are in the world. My thoughts continue to go out to places in the world where COVID-19 is still raging, especially in India. Until next time, stay safe and good night, Galileo. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been A Breath of Fresh Earth. Thanks for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.